Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. For those of you that weren't here this morning, I spoke about a video that I saw last night of a drunken man, a homeless man who walked into a church totally drunk. You can see it on YouTube. I don't know if any of you went and had a look at it after this morning. And uh, he starts to cause a bit of ruckus and then manages to walk up to the platform in his drunken state and gets hold of the microphone and the pastor gives it to him and he starts to sing. And all of a sudden, everything changes in the room as the reckless, amazing love of God fills the room. That song's been a special song today uh, and it's messing with me a little bit because over the last couple of weeks, I guess that's been the theme of what I've been thinking a lot about, about the incredible love of God. And I've been thinking to myself, if everybody in Australia had a full understanding of that reckless love of God, they wouldn't run away from God. They would run towards Him. And it's so sad that we've created a world where people think God doesn't like them. I pray if you feel like that tonight, things will turn around for you. So all afternoon, I felt things began to stir and change and I'm taking a risk because I'm not flowing out of stuff that I just know off by heart. I might need to read a couple of things out, but I know this is a house that respects that posture of having a now word from God, not just the next word, but a now word. I do miss it sometimes. I stood in front of the mirror and in front of the wardrobe today and I said, God, you need to tell me what shirt you want me to wear. And so I went to the wardrobe and pulled out my red checkered flannelette shirt because this morning I said I really wanted to look like Tony. I pulled it out, but it's got a hoodie and I thought it was going to be a little bit too hot. But I did ask God, I said, God, which shirt do you really want me to wear to victory tonight? And I must have missed it because I heard a voice from heaven and it said, I'm your father, not your mother. And so I was left with the choice. And so I've gone denim. I thought that this looked like Tony, but it's not quite there. It's definitely not the same size. He's got the six pack, I've got the barrel. So we're not that far away from each other, but there you go. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. And tonight I want to talk about that love because a few years ago, a man called Hugh Mackay, who wrote a book about reinventing Australia, sent out people into the streets of Australia to ask some questions. Like when you hear the world religious, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? And people said things like pious, judgmental, rigid, unloving and unkind. The same people were asked the question, what happens when you hear the word human? And they said, caring, loving, helpful, nurturing. And somehow they could not relate that to the church. Somehow they could not relate that to the people that go to church or people that profess a belief in God. And I remember reading those statistics so long ago, I thought, gee, we've got some work to do. 
And churches like this exist because we're committed to bringing about a change so people can experience that incredible, reckless love of God. This morning, I mentioned in passing how that people have lost trust in pretty well everything. Telstra's let us down. The electricity providers are letting us down. Politicians are letting us down. Banks, AMP, father figures. There's a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that Paul talks and he says, there are so many instructors, but there are no fathers. So many instructors and no fathers. We've never had more instruction than we have today. You see, YouTube can instruct you. You can go online and be instructed. Books can instruct us, but they can't father us. And sadly, people are so low on the hope specter. They don't have hope much. When people say, I hope so, it's a sort of like, well, who knows? But when a Christian says, I hope so, is we have a certain hope. And the world doesn't have that certain hope. The last thing our broken world need, our broken world needs is an uncertainty about who Jesus is. The world doesn't need that. They need to know who Jesus is. And over the last two weeks, just in my own mind, it hasn't been a deep study. I want to do a study on this. But in the last two weeks, I've been just writing down in my journal the different postures of Jesus the different postures of Jesus. And I thought to myself, if only the world could see this Jesus, how attractive they would find Him. You see, I started to think about Him and I wrote this down. My Jesus is the Jesus who stands up for the persecuted and the misunderstood. And in Acts chapter 7, a man called Stephen is about to get stoned. Not, so, not the way some of you think stoned, but you know, he's about to be murdered. And he starts to pray and he looks up into heaven and Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, while I don't wanna go into a theological expose about why Jesus stood in heaven at the right hand of the Father, one thing I do know is He does stand up for the persecuted and the misunderstood. He stoops down to the broken sexually and morally and in every way. He knows how to stand up. He knows how to stoop down for the broken. He knows how to sit with the worst of sinners. He knows how to stretch His hand to the lepers and the outcasts of life. He knows how to sob at the death of His friend. He knows how to speak life wherever there was death. He knew how to sacrifice His life for others. And He's also the Jesus that I know that gives people a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance when their lives have been messed up. I can't go through those eight postures tonight. It would take too long, but I've chosen two of them. The first one is how He stoops down for the broken. I think I may have shared with you when I came out of my operation that I had at the beginning of 2017 and I was in the intensive care and uh, tubes everywhere and I asked a nurse to get my phone and this thought came into my mind. I don't think it was the anaesthetic uh, because I said this morning we're in a constant state of prayer. We're always saying God speak anytime 
And he said this to me, I believe, I have no grace for carnality. I only have grace for broken humanity. You see, carnality, the word carnality means your flesh. When you let your flesh rule your life, God can't do much for you. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. But when we come and go, hey, I'm broken. I'm a mess. God's attracted to that. You see, He takes our mess and He turns it into an amazing message. And I wanna say tonight that the reckless love of God is so amazing and there's so many postures that Jesus shows us that if we could only get hold of it, people would run to Jesus, not run away from Jesus. The first one is that second point that I made about stooping down for the broken. And in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, we, we meet a woman who was a stone's throw away from death. One stone and she would have been gone. One stone away from death, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, He was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and He sat down and taught them. As He was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Jesus, they said, to him, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until uh, the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I guess beginning with the oldest because he committed a lot more sins than all the other people. He was just that little bit older. He had a lot more to talk about. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And I wanna tell you those words are so real when we really have a revelation of that reckless love of God. Here's a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery And in the history of that time, you would be absolutely finished, caught in a sin like that. Your life had no future. And yet Jesus stoops down to the broken. In fact, if you were to go through the New Testament, you would find that Jesus spent more time with sexually broken people than anybody else. The amount of time He spent with people that were broken morally and in every kind of way because it's not the act that's the issue, it's the brokenness behind all that act that is the issue. And Jesus stoops down to the broken. There are three things from this story tonight that I'd like to point out. One of them is to show us the difference between religion and biblical Christianity. The second is to show the greatness of God's incredible love and compassion for broken people. 
But thirdly, I want to show us that God's love is not a condoning of wrong, but it is a healing us of the wrong to make us the greatest version of us we can be because of His great purpose and pattern for our lives. You see, religion is very different than Christianity. And when we look at the story, in fact, I'll give you a little bit of history of the story because I think it will give us some perspective. At first, when we look at the story, it can appear that Jesus is being soft on sexual sin. He always seemed to hang around with the wrong people. The religious people couldn't understand why he hung around with notorious sinners. He went to parties. Matthew didn't take Jesus to church. He took him to a party. But my friends, Jesus never got drunk. Jesus never did what the others did at the party. He was the light in the darkness at the party to show what the light of the world is all about. In this story, the woman is exposed by the religious leaders. They brought her sin into the light, but cast her into darkness. But Jesus dealt with the darkness of her sin and she comes to see the light. And that's the difference between religion and between Christianity. Christianity is not there to give us a set of rules to live by, but brings us into the light of who God is. And He's not mad at us. He wants to mend us, to make us the people He wanted us to be. People from all over Israel had come to the capital city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, more commonly called the Feast of Booths. The Mosaic law required that all people who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, they had to go up to the city at this time for this great feast. The Feast of Booths was a feast celebrated at harvest time, a feast to remember God's dealing with the children of Israel back in their past. A time when Israel lived in booths in the wilderness, in tents in the wilderness, where God would provide quail and manna from heaven. And it's here that our story takes place at the end of a week of carnival partying. Commentaries seem to indicate that not everybody went to the Feast of Booths to thank God, but some of them just went to get drunk, just to party and have a great time. Much of what happens at Christmas time in our world. At Christmas time, people go to Christmas parties, not because of Jesus, but simply because it's an opportunity just to have a wild party. As dawn broke this particular day, there would have been many sleeping over the, sleeping off their hangovers. While others would be up nice and early, making their way to the temple to worship. This woman would not have been the only one misbehaving. Why had the religious leaders singled her out of the crowd? There is no indication that she did this kind of thing as a living. The Bible doesn't say she was a prostitute, But a woman caught in adultery, she possibly had a husband. She would have maybe had a family. If the Pharisees really wanted to clean up the city, why didn't they start with the brothels in town? Can you imagine how she would have felt? She now faced death, exposed, shame on her family, embarrassment. Why just me? What about the bloke? No one talks about the bloke. This woman caught in the act, well, someone else needed to be involved. And the bloke wasn't around. What about all the other sinners? Somehow, I don't think the religious leader thought about that. You see, they weren't interested in this lady. They were interested in trapping Jesus. 
because I'm going to show you the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is interested in winning arguments. Christianity is interested in winning people. Religion is interested in law, but Christianity is motivated by love. Religion is more interested in rules and regulations. Christianity is interested in relationships. Religion is not interested in reaching the person, but rigidly hanging on to its religious traditions. And in the middle of this, Jesus stoops down on the ground and starts to write in the sand. Now for years, people have been arguing on what did Jesus write? When He stooped down and started to write in the sand, some people say He was writing the sins of all the other people that were in the vicinity around this woman. I don't know, maybe. But one thing I do know tonight is that when this woman gets brought before Jesus, having been caught in this sinful act and her embarrassment and her fear of being judged or even stoned to death, she was one stone away from death. Jesus takes the attention off of her and draws the attention on Him because the minute He starts to write in the sand, they're no, look, no longer looking at her. They're watching what He's doing. And 2,000 years ago on a cross, Jesus took the attention off of us, of our brokenness and what we would have deserved. And He drew the attention on Himself. And He said, I want you to look at me because on this cross, I make a way of freedom for all that are broken. And when Jesus stooped down for the broken, yes, He took the attention off that lady. And He put that attention on Him. You see, He came to die for that woman. He came to die for the very Pharisees that accused her. He came to die for you and me and for the whole world. Rules and regulation and repression is what religion brings. But Jesus brings compassion, care and concern so that we can live in freedom. It's a very simple message tonight, but it's very, very real. I grew up with religion, it didn't help me at all. But I wanna tell you tonight that reckless love of God can change your life forever. And so Jesus shows us that He is a, He's attentive to our brokenness. He wants to heal our brokenness. Religion's not gonna bring the answer, but a relationship with Him will tonight. And we need to understand what it's like to have a connection with a God that Australia thinks doesn't care and realise how much He does care. I received a phone call not that long ago from a friend of mine. He said to me, Danny, will you come and meet with our family? Because our 19 year old daughter, she really doesn't like herself and she's having suicidal thoughts. I went to meet with his family and we sat down together and they're not church attending or not, they weren't church attending people. And we sat with this young lady and I said, what's the issue? And she goes, I don't wanna live. Every time I look into the mirror, I hate what I see. She goes, I'm fat, I'm ugly. And I'm going, no, you're not, you're beautiful. And there's nothing about you that would want anyone to say those things. No one should be saying those things. Have you been bullied? And she goes, yes, I have. On social media and at school. And I said to her, I said, do you believe in God? And she said to me, yes, but I don't think He likes me either. 
I don't think he likes me either. And I began to talk to her about how the real God loves her so much that if I was giving her a lie right now, I would be abusing her. I would be adding to her pain by telling her something that wasn't real. And so I said, let me tell you what's really real about how God feels about you. And she starts crying. I said, would you like me to pray with you? She goes, yes, please. And I introduced her to Jesus and three or four weeks ago, she was baptised. Her life has completely been turned around. And my friends tonight, she's brought the rest of her family to the house of God and she's, her face just radiates with the revelation that that reckless love of God has become so, so real to her. But I went home and I was reminded when I got home of a passage of Scripture that I even preached here last time from in Matthew 16, where Jesus is sitting with a group of disciples in a place called Philippi of Caesarea or Caesarea of Philippi, a place where many gods were adorned and many gods were adored. And in the midst of all these statues and different gods, Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Do you know how many people sit in church every Sunday because of what some say? Who do some say that I am? And they say, oh, you're, you're a prophet. You're a good man. You're a great teacher. But then he said, who do you say that I am? And only one person responds and his name is Peter. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, good on you, Pete. You didn't get that from books. My Father in heaven showed you who I really am. And listen, Pete, now that you know who I am, I'm going to show you who you are. Can we put the words up on the screen, please? Because if we can get hold of these five words right now, the reckless love of God will have such an impact on your life. You will never forget this. I have never forgotten it since that day. And it's really had an impact on my life because I can go back to when I was an 11 year old in a little Italian church when I had my first encounter with God. I couldn't put it in these words, but it's been my journey for 40 years because I actually believe God is for me, not against me. And no matter what comes my way, I'm not a spiritual guinea pig that God likes to experiment with. I am His Son and He is my Father. He's not just my instructor. And here are the words. If you're writing them down, number one is the word deity. You see, Peter has a revelation of who God is. He says, you are deity. You are not just a good teacher, not just a good religion. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says to Peter, let me show you who you are. Identity, number two. See, when, when we discover deity, we will find our identity. Hey, Peter, now that you know who I am, I'm gonna show you who you are. Then he says, not only that, Peter, I'm gonna unpack your destiny. You're gonna build a church and that church is gonna be so expansive that the gates of hell are not gonna stop. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how much poo-poo is inside the ark that we talked about this morning. The church is not gonna be a weak institution. The church is gonna be the answer to a broken world because we have a destiny, because we have an identity, because we know deity. Hey, Peter, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna build. But then he says, not only that, the gates of hell won't be able to stop you 
because I'm giving you authority. So we go from deity to identity. From identity, we find our destiny. From our destiny, we have authority. And listen to the last one because it's the name of your church. He says, and you know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven because I'm gonna give you victory. And I wanna tell you friends, that's worth getting excited about. I believe I can prophesy over this church that it's not a religious church. And it's not a church that's bringing a religious God to the to the community, but we're bringing true deity who can give people their identity, set them up for their destiny, put authority on their lives so they can live in victory. Now that's better than a poke in the eye with a blunt stick, I tell you, that's better. I wanna be that kind of Christian, not churchian. And so we see in this story that Jesus shows us a picture of that kind of God. The kind of God that can say to this woman, I don't condemn you because your identity is not found in your brokenness. Your identity is found in who I'm gonna make you to be. But when I heal your brokenness, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to live like this anymore because I'm gonna give you power to live beyond all this pain. You see, there's a grace that enables us to endure, but there's a grace that enables us to mature. There's a grace that enables us to endure and live above the problems of life. But it's also a grace that makes us mature, that we don't do the things today that we did months ago or years ago because we're changing not to please God, but because He loves us the way we are, but He wants us to be a better version of who we are and He will empower us to become that. And that's the grace that doesn't just save, it sets us free, it sets us up, it sets us apart to become all that He has destined for you and I to be. Now that's not religion. That's true Christianity. This woman was a stone's throw from death. And God shows us amazing love and grace. I notice a lot of people that don't believe in God will use this scripture. I remember a television personality not that long ago when was attacking the church on Q&A. They said, haven't these religious people read in the Bible? He without sin cast the first stone. And the fact is the world knows that Scripture a lot. They use that Scripture a lot, but they never quote the rest of the Scripture. Oh, you're forgiven. Everything's good, but go and sin no more. Why would Jesus ask that woman to do something she was never capable of doing? That would be very cruel of Jesus. To say to a woman, hey, you don't have to do this again. Go and sin no more. That sounds like a a, a cruel statement. But what Jesus was saying to this woman is just like I stopped the stone from coming into your body and killing you. I have a power not just to save you from the attacks that come your way, but I can set you up to live a life above your problems, above what's tried to mess up your life. And I've got something so much greater because that's true Christianity. And the good news tonight is that that woman... She went home totally changed. We don't know the rest of the story, but I'm pretty sure I could guess that she found something that was far greater than what defined her as a broken woman. God is attracted to broken vessels. He uses broken vessels, but He takes us on a journey of repair. 
because He wants us to be trophies of His amazing grace. And in that second statement that I made about one of the, uh, I guess, postures of Jesus was that He stoops down. Maybe tonight you don't feel good enough for God. Maybe you, don't, you feel like that young lady I went and spoke to. I'm glad that when that drunk homeless man walked into a church, that the pastor of that church took the risk to give him the microphone, knowing this man is drunk, this man is broken, but somewhere inside of there, there is hope. There is something that can be resurrected, something that can be changed, that he can become something far greater. And as the man begins to sing, he starts to become sober as he sings. And I don't know the rest of that story. I would like to find out, but I know his story and I know that your story and my story become His story so that we can tell a broken world that true Christianity is compassionate. It is loving and it doesn't point the finger, but Jesus takes the attention off our brokenness and He, as it were, writes into the sand so that He can draw the attention back on Him and away from us. That's the God that we serve, that reckless love of God. Not only does He stoop down, He speaks into our lives with the words of new beginnings. He's a God that speaks and gives us the words, you can have a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. Just for a moment, I wanna take that point tonight and just share a couple of really quick things out of three guys in the Bible where the Word of the Lord came to them a second time. I feel there are people here tonight where you feel like there was a time when I had it together but right now, it all sucketh. Right now, I don't really have it together. Well, you're in the right place tonight because God never gets tired of giving you, giving you and me new beginnings. No matter how many times we fall, He gives us new beginnings. I was sharing with a friend of mine who's sitting here tonight and he's a very close friend of mine this week. And as I was sharing with him and I just started sharing from these thoughts, my heart was deeply Affected and I've carried it all week because in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Do you know the word of the Lord came to another man called Jeremiah a second time? The word of the Lord comes to another guy in the Bible called John Mark a second time for specific reasons. See, Jonah was told to go to the land of Nineveh. And he was told by God to go and proclaim over that land that judgment was coming. Did you know that sometimes the church doesn't want the world to be healed because we want to be proved right? Jonah did not want Nineveh forgiven because they were so horrible to God's people. Why would God forgive a people that was so aggressive towards God's people? I don't want them forgiven. Do you know sometimes we as churchians or even Christians are more judgmental than, than God ever will be towards people's brokenness? Now, Nineveh wasn't a pretty place. They used to fillet people alive, take the outer skins off people's bodies and stick them on the city walls. They would pull people's tongues out from their roots and impale people alive. And God comes to Jonah it says, I want you to go and bring my message of repentance to Nineveh. And he throws a hissy fit and decides he doesn't want to go. But I'm so glad, and we haven't got time to go into the story, that shortly after, a couple of chapters later, chapter three, the Word of the Lord comes to Jonah 
a second time. You see, the first time Jonah was disobedient. You know, sometimes God will tell us to do things and we just disobey. He doesn't write us off. He doesn't go, well, you're finished. He just waits for the right time. We have our little hissy fit. We throw our little pity party. And then the Word of the Lord comes a second time. Sometimes the third time. Sometimes the fourth time. And I want to tell you, my friends, tonight, even in this room, there are people carrying broken dreams. There are people carrying the the thought that once I thought it was going to be like this. Once I thought it was going to be like that. And then when it went like that, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And through disobedience, there was a distance between you and God. The Word of the Lord comes to you a second time and a third time and a fourth time. You go over to Jeremiah chapter 36 and we meet dear old Jeremiah, a great prophet. And one day God comes to him and said, I want you to write down every sermon that you've ever preached. And I want you to take your scribe and I want you to write down from the scroll all the things that I want said to the people of Israel. 230, sorry, 203 leaves of the scroll. That's a lot of writing. No computers in those days. Every prophecy that was given to Jeremiah from God for the people of Israel, it was all written down. It was given to the king. As he starts to read these prophecies, he starts laughing his head off. He starts ripping up the scrolls and throws them in the fire. How would you feel? You just did everything God asked you to do. You did everything God asked you to do and someone comes and takes your dream and just rips it up and throws it in the fire. And Jeremiah must be thinking, what was that all about? I actually did everything God asked me to do. And the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. And he says this, take a scroll, take a pen and start again. Take a scroll, take a pen and start again. And there's people in this room that the Word of the Lord is coming to you a second time because the first time you got discouraged. Sometimes it's disobedience. Sometimes it's just discouragement. And Jeremiah did the right thing. He did what God told him to do. And it all gets screwed up and thrown in the fire. I gave my life to Jesus and I thought everything was gonna go great. Someone said to me, oh, is speaking in tongues the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And I said, no. They go, really? Well, what is it? I said, trouble. (laughs) Sometimes when you give your life to God, it doesn't mean that everything's gonna go the way you want it to go. But in this room tonight, the Word of the Lord comes the 37th time and says, take a scroll, take a pen and start again. This church has been through persecution like every church I know. There's not a church that God uses that doesn't go through stuff. Thank you, Tony and Kath. After 25 years, you're still taking a scroll, taking a pen and writing again. And Jeremiah didn't get a, there you go, my poor, my poor Jeremiah. Let me put my arms around you. See, God doesn't give us sympathy. He gives us strategy. And friends, the last one, and I want the musicians to come. The last one is a guy called John Mark. Oh, he was only a young guy. He goes on a missionary journey with Paul. What an incredible excitement thing to be invited on staff. 
to go and be involved in a missions trip. And they get to a place called Perga. And that was where cannibals used to live. They used to eat people. And Mark, for some reason, says to Paul and to Barnabas, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go home to mum. It doesn't say that he went home to mum, but I'm just assuming that. He goes back to Jerusalem and doesn't finish what he started. Paul was angry. Barnabas takes him under his wing and go, I'm going to work with this guy no matter how broken he is. For whatever reason, I'd like to think maybe it was doubt and fear. Disobedience, discouragement, doubt and fear can make us pull back and we need the Word of the Lord to come a second time. 20 years later, after Mark had run away from his calling, he goes all through Egypt and starts churches everywhere, the very place he'd run away from. He writes the Gospel of Mark and later died a martyr for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not how we start. It's how we finish. But I'm glad that not only does He stoop down and heal me in my brokenness like that woman caught in adultery, but He doesn't just stoop down in my brokenness. He comes to me in my purpose. He comes to me in the thing that He put me on the planet to do. And He reveals His deity. He establishes my identity. He gives me a destiny. He covers with me authority and He gives me victory. But even in the middle of that, we can say, stuff you. In the middle of that, we can say, oh, I don't care. Yeah. And God doesn't react to us like we react to Him. Yeah. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'll find somebody else. Uh, the Word of the Lord comes a second time and a third time and a fourth time. Can we bow our heads in prayer tonight? I really feel really strongly that there are people sitting in this room with broken dreams and the sense of, I thought it was going to be like this. Why has it ended up like this? And you know what? The Word of the Lord's coming to you a second time tonight, a third time, the 27th time. Maybe He's saying to many of you in this room, I really believe He is, take a scroll, take a pen and start again. His reckless love. In 2016, I didn't think I could ever take a scroll. Take a pen and start again. It seems so far from possibility when your emotions are so broken. But I'm glad He's the God that comes a second time. I'm glad that when I want to go my way in my disobedience, He doesn't get mad at me. He just mends me and says, come on, get out of your pity party. Let me come again another time. Let me take you out of your discouragement. Let me take you out of your doubt and fear. Maybe tonight you feel like you've done so many things that disappoint God. You feel like everybody's looking at you like religion did to that woman wanting to stone you. But that's a lie from the devil. Jesus wants to take the attention off you and put it on Himself if you're willing to embrace that reckless, that reckless love of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 